kind of fits right in with sort of the Advent theme. And I want to begin with John the Baptist, um, because he is really an eccentric fellow. Have you, did you listen to this? Did you read this? For a lot of you, I'm sure you've heard, you've heard this preach and, and whatnot. But let me kind of paint the picture for you. John is clearly not your typical preacher. First off, he has a pretty wild appearance. Um, I get folks stopping at the church from time to time. Wonderful, beautiful people. And sometimes they have a wild appearance. <laughs> Some might think, I have a wild appearance. But here's John. Basically, he's wrapped himself in like burlap, you know, in like camel skin. He's got this thing wrapped around him. It's dirty. It's stinky. It's crudely woven, right? It's got stains and patches and dirt and sweat. It's not nice. It's scratchy. He's got this thing kind of on him with a belt, you know, sort of on him somehow. I don't know how long this thing would be, but, you know, he almost looks like Fred Flintstone a little bit. <laughs> right? It's, it's a roughshod tunic for a real roughshod kind of preacher. He looks really wild, if you think about it. And not only is his appearance startling, but his actions are also really startling. What's he doing? We get that he's crying out, he's preaching, but it's literally crying out at the top of his lungs. Repent. This would be like, as one writer put it, as I was kind of doing a bit of prep for this sermon, it would be like uh, when you get a text message and it's all in caps. That means the person's yelling, right? This would be like in caps all the time. John is always in caps. All caps, all the time. Literally crying out of the top of his lungs. And the idea the Greek kind of carries here is this is almost like a battle cry, or, or the same sort of roaring cry that you get as sort of the waves kind of crash on the, on the seashore. So this is rousing, it's eccentric, it's loud, this is not comfortable. This has been intense, kind of like him with his clothing, right? And if his appearance wasn't rough enough and his instructions weren't rough enough, where he is is also rough. He's in the desert. This is wilderness country. It's hot in the day. It's cold at night. Um, it's barren. And here he is shouting out, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And amazingly, get this, amazingly, people from all around the area actually come up to hear him. I don't know about you, but if we had someone sort of out in the field, just yelling, and they looked crazy, I don't know if we would go. I don't, I think I would probably stay here. There's some guy out in the field. He doesn't have a four-wheeler, he's just running around in the field. And yet the people come to him, they're drawn to him. They come up to him. And what's equally impressive, not only that they go and hear him, is that what he's saying is a hard and difficult thing, and they come to hear that, which is that they need to confess their sins. And not just confess their sins, but then subject themselves to this particular brand of baptism that he's calling for, which is a baptism into repentance. That's what he's calling them to. What's this all about? Good old John. John is, is basically your last Old Testament prophet. 
He's out there, folks. He's confronting people with the stark truth about themselves. And I think even as we read this passage today, we're also called to be confronted with the stark truth about ourselves. And the simple truth is this. We're each sinners. This is what it comes back to. We're each sinners. Each and every one of us. We're broken. And we need forgiveness and we need redemption. That's basically it. They come to hear him shout. They come out of the safety and security of their homes into a place of insecurity and discomfort because it's worth their life. This is worth it. They come out of a place of apathy into a place of being confronted with their truest selves and called to change. And this is serious stuff, as John tells us, because it's not just about him. This is just preparation for the one who's going to be coming, the one with the winnowing fork to clear the threshing floor. Okay. This just got really serious. To gather the good wheat and set the chaff ablaze. Oh, this is really serious. This is life and death. This is sin and judgment and transformation, and it's beautiful, difficult, life-changing stuff. That's what John calls them to. That's what they go and meet out there. Now, Matthew himself, as the narrator, he gives us a bit of a picture of what's going on here. And he, he inserts for us, which is really handy in verse 3, right? The call from Isaiah. So Matthew says, if you want to understand what John's about, you need to understand what Isaiah is about. And he says, he, John, is fulfilling the vision that Isaiah had, that one would come that would call the people into repentance in order to prepare them for the return of Yahweh. Prepare them for the return of the Lord. Now note what John's doing. He's calling them out into, you, you can answer this, he's calling them out into desert, wilderness, right? And what are they doing when they get out there? Repenting, and they go in the water. Where have you heard that before? What does that remind you of? Desert and water. It's the Exodus. It's the Exodus. Think like a Jewish person. Desert, water, Exodus. And what's the big moment of salvation if you're a Jewish person? It's the Exodus. Why? Because this is the moment where Yahweh breaks into their story and gives them his name and calls them to himself. Right? And saves them. That's the big moment. Exodus. It's humongous. It's huge for them. This is when God showed up in history and actually delivered us and gave us his name. I am who I am. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Huge, huge. And so Yahweh calls them out of the wilderness through the Red Sea so that they can worship him, right? Enter into covenant relationship with him. And they, they spend a lot of time on this. Have you ever noticed? Genesis, Exodus, then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like, it's a big deal. It's a lot of, there's a lot of material devoted to that. Living with God, right? But he calls them into desert and through water. And God's doing the same thing. He's taking this hardened, sinful, broken people. They've never, they, this is generations later, they've never had an exodus, right? They never went through the Red Sea. They never had the Babylonian captivity. And yet they're still idolatrous. They're still turned from God. 
And what does God do? He calls them out of their sin, back out into the desert, which is the place where he reveals himself, and through the water, right? Into repentance and preparation to walk with Yahweh. So what John does, I would argue, is this is new exodus imagery. He's preparing them for the arrival of God, because God's coming. Emmanuel, God with us, God's coming. So he gets them ready, he takes the he takes the most formative experience that the Jewish people had, that their forefathers would have had, and he reenacts it for them in present day and calls them to walk faithfully with God. Isn't that cool? That's what's going on there, I would argue. Desert and water, he's calling them back to God, prepared for him. They come, I want to think about the people a little bit, they come to deal with their past, they come to deal with their own sin. And we need to come too, folks, to deal with our own sin. We need, to, we need this also. Because deep down, whether you're a Christian or not, I think we all can agree, um, we know that not all is right with the world. And there's a longing, hope beyond hope, that there's an answer to this. There's, there is truth and hope in life somewhere. And I need something real. I need something real, or I need someone real. That's what they're doing. And I think, see, for Christmas, for a lot of us, and in our society, is, uh, it's not always very realistic. You know, it's lots of fancy lights, and lots of presents, and everyone gets home in time for Christmas, and there's a fire in the hearth, and you know, like, everything's good. There's a giant turkey on the table, and the kids all get along, and no one's upset with anybody. And it's just perfect. It's this idealized kind of, you know, it's the Hallmark greeting card kind of Christmas, right? And it's not really real. It's not it's like a Brady Bunch. It's not real. It's this kind of picturesque ideal life. But I think for a lot of us, if we actually looked around, we realized, no, no. Not everything's okay. And that's what John's calling does. He calls through that kind of picturesque idealism. Everything's okay with my life, right? I've got my Christmas tree and I've got my stockings put up and everything's okay. Everything's okay, all the veneers there. Everything's all right. And John's voice cuts through that and calls us back to Jesus. That's what he does for these people. That's what he does for us too. John reminds us everything's not okay, right? We have school shootings and we have political scandals and we have economic crisis. And we have pollution all over the place, right? And we're sick, and we're unhealthy, and we're broken physically and mentally and emotionally. Things are not well, right? Things are not well. We hurt each other, and yet we're also longing for life and meaning and hope. And folks, if anything else, hear this. Christmas is when God enters the mess and the mire of your own life and graces it with his presence and brings you into salvation. That's what Christmas is. And the Gospels are really clear about that. The situation where Jesus comes in, there's marriage trouble and there's taxes and there's no hotel rooms available, right? And there's poverty, like Mary and Joseph are not in good shape. And there's crazy megalomaniac kings and there's slaughtering of innocent babies, right? And there's refugees, 
Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, refugees, off to Egypt. This is Christmas. This is God entering real life and transforming it by his glory, stepping into it and participating in it, just like us, and redeeming it for himself. That's Christmas. And John's voice cuts through all the idealism and all the, all the consumeristic trappings of all the nonsense that it can be about, and calls us, like Advent, back to a tether line, a plumb line, back to hold on to the truth of the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ for us. That's what this is about. He invites us back to Christ. Salvation in him. And you know what? When we talk about salvation, this is the hard thing. Repentance, or turning, means literally to, to move from the direction one was heading to a new direction. And that's really hard. Like, it's really hard to change the direction one was going. If you're driving down the highway, you know, you have to stop. Find a place to turn off. You know, like, there's work involved a little bit. It's hard to just suddenly turn around and change what you're doing. But a new life means a change from the old life. And that's what John calls them to in verse 8, right? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Basically, if you just say, Lord, I'm sorry, but you keep living the way you're living, it's not repentance. John says, if you're repenting, you do truly confess, but then you turn and live a new life, and it will be shown in the fruit you bear in your life. It will be in keeping with the repentance of your heart. Your outside actions mirror what's going on inside of you, says John. And that's why he's, he's really quick to tell the Pharisees and Sadducees about it. Look, don't just do this as a thing to do. Make sure you start, it changes how you live your life. Make sure you start living out the repentance in the right way. And folks, this is hard for us because it actually means I might need to change my life. Like it actually means I might have to let go of some stuff in my life that I really like. Or it might mean taking on something that I didn't think I was ready for. There's a call here to live for Christ and to bear fruit for righteousness for him. And that means I can no longer bear fruit of sin in my life anymore. It means I can't go back to those old things. We talked about this a little bit when we did Colossians. John's saying, look at folks, you need to change the way you're living because you're dealing with Yahweh himself. Like you're dealing with God himself. And when he comes, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that sounds frightening to me. Like, whoa, okay. I don't know, like, there's a lot going on there. Of course, we've got Pentecost and different echoes ringing on in our heads. But then the next verse kind of tells us what else is going on, right? Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in hand, and he's clearing house. The one who's coming is the one who has the right to judge. And he'll set things straight. So prepare, get ready, here he comes. Make sure your hearts are in the right place. That's what John calls them to. We need to repent. We need folks to truly turn and change our actions, lest our own attempts at righteousness become this worthless channel. So we need to be really careful about that. I think uh, around this time of year, you always see things about keeping Christ in Christmas, right? All that kind of thing. People upset about their Starbucks and whatever. And, uh, you know, I think we do need to, to make sure 
Christmas is about Jesus, of course. But the main way we do that is not sort of yelling louder than the other person. The way we do that before anything else is to simply give ourselves back to Jesus. That's the call here, is to simply turn and point ourselves back towards him. That's the, that's the most Christ-centered thing you can do for Christmas, is to stay focused on Jesus. Give ourselves over to him, because if we don't accept him, if we don't let our lives be grounded in him, then all the music and the decorations and the lights and the presents is just going to leave us with a deeper sense of emptiness and longing than if we, if we don't turn to him, the one who can actually fill us and make us whole. So we need to turn. Turn back to the risen and living Lord. And I think we need to do this again and again and again. This isn't just the call to salvation. This is regularly. We need to come to a place of repentance and turning. Saying, Lord, I'm, I'm off track. We'll be back on the right track. Lord, I feel like I'm not bearing fruit with repentance. Help me in this area of my life. But we, John's call is for all of us. And I think, as I wrap this up, if we want to keep Christ at the center this Christmas, and we want to anticipate him well, and we hear John's call cutting through all the nonsense and all the noise, calling us back to Jesus, that I think we ought to begin exactly where John the Baptist begins at the first advent, which is just to repent. I think there's a call here for us to repent together. Repent that we might turn from sin and live a new life. To repent that we would show the world a different way to live, a life of holiness. Repent that we might pray and see the transformation of our city and our country. Repent that we would be ourselves prepared for the second advent of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you today, how are you preparing to receive Jesus this Christmas? Do you need to repent? What do you really want to see this Christmas? You know, is it just kind of get through all the all the, all the dinners, all the events? You know, it's just like a checklist of stuff. It's, it's just like a marathon. By New Year's, hopefully it's all over, you know? Is it just a bunch of stuff to do, or is, is there really a time of, of saying, Lord, I want to, I really want to follow you? Because if it's just about doing all that stuff, like I said, come January 2nd, it's just going to feel like, well, what was all that? What was the point of all that? It begins with repentance. So before we head into communion, I feel like it's appropriate for us to just take a, a moment in silence and uh, repent to the Lord, just what, whatever's on your heart. If there's some things on your heart that have been kind of stirred up as we've been listening to this passage. Um, so we're going to take some silence and just, just pray silently. So I invite you sort of to individual repentance. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pray over you and uh, we're kind of do an act of sort of corporate repentance because I think this is, this is the best place for us to start. This is where John calls us to start. Um, now, repentance isn't just kind of feeling sorry for yourself. You know, it's recognizing, Lord, I'm sinful. I need you. And then moving on from there. 
啊，这个王位是在哪 ？But folks, let's turn back to God. Let's heed John's call here, and let's get right with the Lord. Let's prepare ourselves for His kingdom coming. We're going to talk about that more next week. So let's pray, and I'm going to、uh, give us a few minutes just to ask the Lord to examine our hearts. Invite you to confession and repentance, and then I'm going to pray over us. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has shown His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By His suffering and death, our sins can be put away and remembered no more against us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to read a, a passage from the Psalms.、Um, this is, if I remember correctly,、uh, the prayer of repentance that David prays after his sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy, and what I'm going to do is actually change it to plural for us. And this will be our prayer together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity. Cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take God your Holy Spirit from us, but restore unto us the joy of your salvation, and uphold us with a willing spirit, that we may walk in newness of life. The glory of your name. Amen. Amen.